This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it <clears throat> a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com slash system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash system. Live from the Fox News Radio Studios in New York City, fresh off the set of Fox and Friends, it's America's receptive voice, Brian Kilmeade. Thanks so much for listening, everybody. It's the Brian Kilmeade Show, fresh off three hours of Fox and Friends. Happy to be with you and the Brian Kilmeade Show that's going to you on debate day. I mean, we're, we're finally here. The last debate, we're within two weeks now of the election. So many people have voted already. It's exciting. And in, in a matter of moments, we're going to talk to Neil Ferguson. If you've seen what happened with Facebook, you see that the president's account's been, uh, been frozen 65 times. If you see what's happened with Facebook at this New York Post story, if you see how often people are shadow banned, like Don Trump Jr. and uh, and others that are supporters of conservative movement, you may be stunned, shocked, and abhorred. But guess who predicted it? Neil Ferguson. And he's going to be with us right now. He predicted it in his book. He discussed it here, and sadly, it all came true. He's senior fellow at Hoover. Uh, back with him in second, but let's get to the big three. Now with the stories you need to know, it's Brian's Big Three. Number three. The vast majority of uh, reporters are completely ignoring it, and that's a scandal in and of itself. Based on the emails that are, that are emerging now, all we have found is verification. We haven't found any discrepancies. Uh, that is Senator Ron Johnson, the hunt for the truth when it comes to Hunter Biden's laptop, business dealing, and perhaps how his dad, not even perhaps soon, his dad Joe, his brother, have benefited by the millions. Number two. I get that this president wants full credit for the economy he inherited and zero blame for the pandemic that he ignored. But you know what? The job doesn't work that way. Uh, thanks. Uh, I'm so interested in what Barack Obama says about the job. 2020 closing arguments in full swing as Trump takes to the stump and Joe takes to a fourth straight day in the basement. President Obama swings for the fences, but in Philly? Really? Judging by the car horns and the audience seems well received? Number one. From the time we went to this format starting in 2012, the commission has nothing to say about what the moderators decide will be in the six sections. One of the things that was mentioned that will be in tomorrow night is something on national mm -hmm. security and leadership. So it seems to me there is an opening if the president wants to talk yeah. about foreign policy. Uh, that is Frank Farenkoff, good enough to come on our show and explain what was going on with the debate commission. He did the same thing with Martha last night. Debate day. The tactics, the topics, the rules, the best approach for both candidates, fact and fiction about the commission, and the baffling decision to let the moderator pick the exact same topics as the first debate with no foreign policy. Which I think disappoints my next guest because of his great knowledge of international affairs. He's senior fellow at Hoover Institute and author of the 2017 book called The Square and the Tower, Networks, Hierarchies, and the Struggle for Global Power. Neil, I thought about you so much over the last year as the president's account's been frozen and now as big tech has unified to not forward a story that's been verified now by the FBI. It doesn't surprise you. Why did you know this? Well, Brian, it's great to be back with you. Uh, four years ago, it seemed pretty obvious that the big tech companies were were more than just shocked by the outcome of the election. Uh, 
Most people who work in Silicon Valley lean left. There are hardly any exceptions to that. Maybe Peter Thiel is one, but he left town uh, some time ago. And so there was obviously going to be a rethink uh, about the way they handled the next election. Uh, we began to see the, the first signs of uh, systematic censorship after the events in Charlottesville uh, 2017, uh, when various uh, big names in tech uh, started openly saying that they were going to take down, uh, quote unquote, hate speech. Now, the thing about the category of hate speech uh, is that it can be expanded uh, just about as far as you like. Uh, and uh, what it tends to mean in Silicon Valley is anything uh, that that is right uh, of center. Uh, uh, now, I don't want to uh, overstate the case. It's not like there's uh, uh, mass censorship of conservative content, but there have been numerous cases, Prager University being a good one, where Prager sued uh, because uh, their their content was being discriminated against. And I, I wasn't in the least surprised when in this election year, Twitter and Facebook uh, ramped up uh, the censorship. Uh, and it, it's actually more than just the New York uh, Post story about Hunter Biden. There's, in fact, a, a great deal of this kind of thing going on this year. Some of it isn't attracting as many headlines uh, but I think this was always likely to happen, Brian, for one very simple reason. The big tech companies have become the public square. They dominate uh, the way in which people consume news. Really large proportions, especially of young Americans, get their news via Facebook uh, or, they, or they get it off some other social media site. And this is way too much power for corporations that when you press them say, oh, we're just a technology company. We're just a platform. But they're not. You know, we, we're not publishers. They are publishers. And do you agree that, that it has to be reassessed? Absolutely. And the problem, Brian, is that we're in the process of going down a huge blind alley called antitrust. That is to say, uh, the political class has decided with some notable exceptions, uh, Josh Hawley, for example, to go down the antitrust road as if the real problem is anti-competitive practices by companies uh, like Google. But the real problem is not that. The problem is that these giant network platforms have become the most powerful publishers in the world. And they're governed by mid-1990s legislation, which was drafted when they didn't mostly exist uh, when they were little fledgling enterprises. And, and the key piece of legislation that is really, really up for revision is Section 230 of the Communications Decency Act, which is like the catch-22 of the internet. Because what it says, uh, Brian, is that if something bad appears in the network platform, like a death threat or terrorist content, well, the, the network platforms just shrug their shoulders and say, nothing to do with us, we're just, we're just platforms. Uh, but if they engage in, in censorship, if they deliberately take down content or, yeah. or they label content unsafe, and you say, but what about my First Amendment rights? They reply, oh, well, uh, those don't apply because uh, we're private companies and uh, First Amendment doesn't apply to us. It's a wonderful, uh, you know, heads heads they win, tails you lose situation, and, and it has to be changed. I agree. And the thing is, the election they're going to they're willing to get this spotlight on them. They're willing to take all the criticism, I believe, in order to get the outcome they want in this election, and they're willing to take it. So they're going to be called to Capitol Hill next week, as early as next week. Listen to Ted Cruz. That is a major escalation from silencing individual Americans to now 
big tech is telling the media, we have a veto power on what stories you can report on and what stories the American people can hear. If anyone in the mainstream media had even a shred of integrity, they would be outraged at this. Instead, because they want Donald Trump to, to lose, they will docilely go by by big tech's incredible assertion of censorship power. He, he's right, correct? I mean, this must really outrage you. And it's because Trump's people knew four years ago how valuable Facebook was specifically, and they utilize it. Hillary's people forgot about it. And because of that, the Facebook people and all the Silicon Valley liberals were afraid to show their face in these cocktail parties. They thought they put Trump in power and they're overcompensating right now. And there's outrage, but it might be futile. Right. I think the key thing to grasp, Brian, is the sheer reach of the big tech companies. Facebook has in the United States 240 million users, 72 percent of the population. People are spending an average of 75 minutes a day on social media. Large proportions, as I mentioned, especially of younger people, get their news from sites like Facebook. This, as you know, look at your Fox ratings. I mean, this is this dwarfs what cable TV uh, can do. It dwarfs what traditional media can do. And it means that the public square where our political debate happens is now owned by a handful of West Coast companies, the overwhelming majority uh, of, of whose employees and executives are, are liberals, if not outside, outright woke progressives. And I think this this is, as you rightly say, uh, for them, a cost uh, that they're prepared to incur, the, the heat that they're going to be under, the pressure they're going to be under between now and Election Day, for them will be entirely worth it if the outcome is the blue wave, the landslide Biden victory that they they fantasize about. And by the way, if that is the result of this election, you can forget meaningful reform of the power of social media. There will no, there will be no attempt to revisit the issue of Section 230. There will be no attempt to give us First Amendment rights on the internet. There will be an entirely futile antitrust action uh, against uh, some uh, of these big tech companies, which like the antitrust action against Microsoft 20 years ago will almost certainly end in nothing really changing and these companies not being broken up. It's and, unbelievable. And from the vantage point of the, the California Democrats, who are, of course, heavily subsidized, funded by Silicon Valley, uh, this is just a sweet outcome because they want conservative content to be taken down. It suits them very well if it's President Trump's uh, tweets. But now, are, Ferguson, are, uh, if I'm a business warning. person, if I'm a business person, I want the most people possible to use my social media platform. I don't have a – if I'm a legitimate business person that just wants to grow for my investors and myself, my company, why would you want to alienate half the country? What is so worth it? Is it so worth it to pick the president rather than – and to maybe jeopardize your future profits because of the reclassification – it's so worth it to do all that rather than just maximize profits and, and better your company? Well, Brian, if, if you and I were, were swimming in money the way the big tech companies are swimming in money, we would regard it as a rounding error uh, if uh, a bunch of, uh, of conservative uh, content producers boycotted our platform. Uh, we, we would just shrug our shoulders the way they shrugged their shoulders when – 
they came under attack from the European uh, Union in recent years. They were fined. Uh, there have been massive fines imposed by the EU uh, on the big tech companies. But if you, if you look at the finances of big tech, uh, even these big fines, which look to us absolutely crushing, are a rounding error. So I, I just don't think it worries them in the slightest. What would worry them would, would be or would have been a serious uh, revision of the rules governing their role in our political lives. And I'm afraid to say that Republicans left it way too late. You're you right. and I were talking about this more than two years ago now, and uh, nothing was done. I went to Washington. I was trying to explain uh, to, to Republican legislators uh, what needed to be done before the next election. And really, the answer was, apart from a few minor pieces of legislation on sex trafficking, nothing was done. And so we shouldn't be surprised that we're in this situation. The writing was on the wall four years ago that big tech was far too politically powerful, that it had become the public square and the public square was going to engage uh, in skewed censorship, and we really did not. We did nothing to right. address that. And I, I, in, in that sense, I think conservatives only have them, themselves to blame because they left it until really the remit, the last months of President Trump's first term. Uh, I can still say that uh, before they really got right. serious about Section Two Thirty, and and that right. that I think is the reason we're in this situation. And Neil, just a big question. When we look at what's happening with California and your green movement and you can't even keep the lights on, when you see this uh, this sense of let's keep the wall down and let legal immigrants uh, live off the land and live in our country and almost in- embrace them as they come in, as we see the homeless take over Los Angeles and San Francisco, as we see these uh, pension plans and these blue cities get their budget go, uh, go flying into the red, and so many are leaving for Texas and Florida and uh, Tennessee— do you believe the American people are seeing the difference and are getting away from the slogans and the electioneering and are looking around and making the assessment on what worked best for them? I wish I wish that was happening. I moved uh, to California four years ago from uh, from Harvard to Stanford, and uh, I had not really paid enough attention to the way California was run. I just kind of assumed it was Massachusetts was with with better weather. Uh, I was shocked to discover the way in which the the Democrats run California. It's become a one-party state. There is almost no uh, way the Republicans can constrain the Democrats in in Sacramento. And wherever you look, uh, it is a a god-awful mess. The most obvious example uh, I can think of are the huge wildfires that we have seen uh, this year, which have been the the worst, really, in, in many, many decades. And it's uh, very convenient for Governor Gavin Newsom to say that this is all because of climate change and therefore we must all uh, you know, go by high-speed rail or drive Teslas. But the reality is that these wildfires have happened because Californian Democrats' environmental legislation and regulation makes it Im- almost impossible to do the kind of controlled burns that you need to do to manage yep. the great forests of a very arid state. Uh, and it's a complete uh, piece of nonsense to say that it's rising temperatures that are responsible for this. So I, I think that's just one example of many I could give. I the taxes go inexorably upwards. Uh, the regulations become extraordinarily uh, complex. I, w- I was shocked to find how much harder it was just to employ people in California compared with uh, Massachusetts. And people are leaving. So the tax base uh, is, is shrinking. Is shrinking. And, and that is going to make the problems even worse. And what's stunning to me is that, A, 
the California Democrats simply do not see the extent to which they are destroying the world's most successful economy, or which they, California has been for right. many decades. Yeah, I got and it. voters... And Voters don't seem to get it either. Otherwise, there would be a Republican revival. And we'd get back to those days when we had Ronald Reagan as governor of California. Oh, gosh, I really yearn for that for Absolutely. that time. Uh, Neil Ferguson, no one says, says it better than you. I would have interjected, but you're just saying you're, you're nailing it. Just like you nailed it in 2017, you came here, you came on the show and predicted everything to a T. Square in the Tower is the name of the book, Networks, Hierarchies, and the Struggle for Global Power. He's got a great column out now, uh, Article 2, Facebook, Twitter, Google, can't be censors of politics. Uh, Neil, thanks so much. I'll talk to you soon, I hope. You bet. Thanks, Brian. All right. Next, your calls. 1-866-408-7669. We have a lot of ground to make up, so let's go. Challenging conventional thought and wisdom. You're with Brian Kilmeade. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust, or is it a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com slash system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash system. As many of you know from your own life experiences, a life in so-called blue-collar work is something to be proud of. It is very rewarding to work that has impact on your friends, your neighbors, and your family's lives. Great successes can be had in the blue-collar career. There's no degree requirement for achieving comfort, peace, and freedom. While schools cut shop classes and funnel students into colleges, there are plenty of options for hard workers who are ready to take advantage of open positions. Many young people today assume that college is the only way to achieve success in life. That is not true. Let me introduce you to Ken Rusk. Ken spent his younger years digging ditches and working in construction. He never went to college. Instead, he made goals, planned, and worked hard for 30 years. Now Ken is a successful entrepreneur with multiple businesses and revenue streams. In his national best-selling book, Blue Collar Cash, Ken shares his insights from over 30 years of working in blue-collar trades as an entrepreneur, mentor, and life coach. Now he's created a guide made specifically for you and your unique situation. This guide will give you or someone you love the tools you need to start designing the life of their dreams. You can achieve your dreams regardless of your educational background or your past. Go to KenRusk.com path to learn more. That's KenRusk.com path. Breaking news, unique opinions. Hear it all on the Brian Kilmeade Show. Well, I think the mute is very unfair, and I think it's very bad that they're not talking about foreign affairs. They're supposed to be talking about foreign affairs, and I think that the anchor is a a very uh, biased person. Her parents are very biased, but that's my life. And he's talking about he's talking about the uh, the Kirsten Kristen Welker, who be the moderator, whose parents are big Obama supporters and donors and Clinton, too. And she was a Democrat before. So it bothers the president now. I don't blame him. No foreign affairs bothers the president. I don't blame him. Uh, The fact that we're doing climate change and racial justice again, uh, I don't understand. Uh, Where's the economy? Uh, Mark listening in the villages. Hey, Mark. 
Hey, Brian. There's a you know there's a large group of people that are that are undecided that don't know the truth. And these big tech companies, they know exactly what they're doing to yep. for these people. That's why they're taking everything down. And this second thing with Obama up there. Um, stumping for Biden, that's a joke. He's the problem. He's the started what started all this. You know, it's just a complete hey, joke that hey, he's Mark, out there doing Mark, it. But again, all these generals, all these Republicans should understand what Biden brings. Hollowing out the military, sucking money out of the Pentagon immediately, the horrible foreign policy that bolsters Iran and ISIS out Israel. We don't back up. We don't push back on, on Russia. He let the Ukraine go, never even sent them weapons. He let this whole, uh, this whole natural gas pipeline go through Germany and through all our NATO allies, giving them energy superiority over the people we're supposed to protect. That's just to name a few, let alone China going wild. Good luck, Republicans. Living the Bream is a podcast hosted by Fox News Channel's Shannon Bream, sharing inspirational stories, personal anecdotes, and an insider's perspective on actions and rulings from the high court. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. America's listening to Fox News. The fastest three hours in radio. You're with Brian Kilmeade. Well, under the committee rules, you need two members of the minority to conduct business, but they're intentionally denying us the uh, that uh, participation. They're boycotting the committee. So what I will do as chairman, there'll be a majority of the committee present. We will waive that rule. We'll report Judge Barrett out. She'll go to the floor. And hopefully by Monday or Tuesday, it should be on the court. And to my Democratic colleagues, you had four days uh, of hearings, two days to question the judge. She deserves an up or down vote. Uh, she did an outstanding job representing herself. She soared when it came to the law. She had a judicial disposition that should be the gold standard. She's led a consequential life. She deserves better than this, but she will get out of the committee today. I have the votes to get her out of committee. She will be reported out of committee no matter what the Democrats do. And, and by the way, so they had to lose They had to lose four votes, and they, they've only lost one. That's Susan Collins. And Susan Collins obviously knows she's qualified, but says, I, I want to wait till after the election. She's worried about winning her election. She's in a blue state. But right now, it just happened. They did vote. Just Republicans voted at a committee. She goes. They have the majority, 53. But they have it in committee 1210. So now they're speaking. But what's there instead of Democrats are posters of kids who need health care, as if Obamacare is going to get nixed in the first week. This thing is going to go to the floor next week, and she'll be on the and she'll be on the the court. I actually thought it was going to be detrimental to the Republicans' fortunes in the election. I feel so differently now after watching her and saw the last poll. Fifty-one percent of the country said she belongs in the Supreme Court. So good luck with that. Now you have Joe Biden, a traditionalist, forty-seven years in the Senate, forty-four years in the Senate, or I guess thirty-nine because he spent eight as vice president. Still willing to throw that in the street, get rid of the filibuster, make it like the House, and then uh, stack the court, pack the court. That's on the ballot. Only 38 percent of the country want to do it. They're going to do it anyway. Just understand, if you turn America, if you turn the Senate over to Democrats, you will not recognize the country. I'm not one for hyperbole. I never think things are going to get that bad. I don't ever think go over the top when things are that good. Uh, And I will say this. Uh, They're going to look to add districts and seats in Democratic states for the House. They're going to look to make D.C. and Puerto Rico states 
for the Senate. They are going to try the best they can to amend the Constitution and get rid of the Electoral College. William, listen on WMNC in South Bend, Indiana. William. Hey, Brian. It's your buddy William here. I talk to you on a regular basis. I appreciate everything you do. Um, A couple of things. Uh, It seemed like Biden was running for office yesterday. I don't know that he was really campaigning for, uh, excuse me, it seems like Obama was running for office yesterday. Didn't really seem like he was campaigning for Biden. It seems like he was just doing nothing more than taking shots at uh, our president. Great observation, Uh, William. In fact, here's a little of Barack Obama yesterday talking to cars. Cut 17. There are consequences to these actions. They embolden other people to be cruel and divisive and racist. And it frays the fabric of our society. And it affects how our children see things. And it affects the ways that our families get along. It affects how the world looks at America. That behavior matters. Character matters. I'm... As far as President Obama uh, goes, William, I have no problem with his character. Great speaker. He is so incensed of Donald Trump replacing him and him undoing his entire legacy. His eyes pop out of his head. And I'm going to bring up something else. He was not a good president. I did not enjoy the anti-Americanism. I despised the job that Eric Holder did, furthering division, uh, racial lines uh, between in our country. And I'm going to add to that. President Trump was fighting against the system he left behind for the last four years. If he just had normal issues to tackle, hurdles to clear, this would not nearly be as divisive. But the guy did not stop fighting. I think other candidates who became president might have quit halfway. You know what? Obama had eight years to do something to change this racial rhetoric. He did nothing. He made it worse. He was the one that said— Our best days are behind us. The country is over. Nobody did anything on their own. Somebody else did it for them and gave it to them. Nobody went out and did anything on their own. Trump has proved that to be just the total opposite. It's just amazing to me that he is out there carrying on this way. And, again, it's the drive-by media that's showing this and the people that are watching this. Hook, line, and sinker, man, he's reeling them into the boat. They believe it. Maybe. Uh, I don't think President Obama campaigned harder for Hillary than Hillary did for Hillary. And what did it get him? Nothing. And where is he? Philadelphia? Really? You're in Philadelphia? You got to mobilize people in Philadelphia one week, two weeks before an election? My goodness, that's not good for the black vote, for the urban vote. Thanks, William. He's going to be in Miami next week where where Biden is really sucking wind. Uh, Justin, listening online. Hey, Justin. Hey, Brian. First of all, I want to say thank you for uh, taking my call, man. You are my morning every single morning. Appreciate it. Um, So uh, I'm in Aurora, Colorado, suburb of Denver, and it's a very, very liberal uh, town. All of Denver is pretty fairly liberal. And I just wanted to call about the hidden Trump voter you were talking about yesterday. I got some bumper stickers on my car, and I walk a fine line from getting my windows bashed in every day. But I get people honking at me uh, at gas stations coming up and commenting to me, all positive, all for Trump. Um, and, and the main thing I hear throughout is that they're, you know, they don't want to put a bumper sticker on or put something in their yard because they're afraid of retaliation. 
Well, you, Dave, um, I'm sure you were Justin. You saw the poll yesterday. I was talking about 64 percent of of Americans, Trump supporters, are afraid to put something on their car, a bumper sticker on their car. 68 percent afraid uh, afraid to put a lawn sign on their lawn. Yeah, I I did I did hear that, and uh, that's definitely uh, that's definitely the case here in Aurora. Um, another thing, man, is so this leftist uh, ideology, man. I don't think it's going anywhere. And I'm pretty confident Trump's going to win the election. But you know what I'm really scared for is four years from now, uh, where we're going to be, what we're going to do, and where this whole leftist ideology is going to be at that point in time. Well, they have to overthrow their own party. Good luck with that. So they have 47 senators. I don't really think Senator Schumer has the same policies as AOC and Bernie Sanders so they're losing. You think that you think that uh, Schumer is an obstacle. You think Nancy Pelosi is a problem. I say, yeah, absolutely. But this new generation of Democrats are to the left of them, and they had the momentum. The American people aren't ready for it. We want responsibility on climate change. We don't want to revolutionize uh, all oil and gas. The stuff that they want to do is so impractical and impossible to implement. Uh, they're pro statue taking down. They're pro burning things when you don't get your own way. Uh, They're pro getting rid of oil and gas and cows. That's literally written down on paper. So if you think that that's going to resonate with the 330 million Americans, I wouldn't worry that much. If the President Trump can get four more years, I think we're going to see four more, much more rational years. After initial disappointment uh, for maybe 50 percent of the country, they're going to realize, let's just deal with this guy. Let's do immigration reform. Uh, Let's figure out a way to secure our border. In a responsible way. Let's find a way to give DACA a password to citizenship in exchange for revolutionizing our immigration system. Uh, real quick, uh, thanks so much for the call in Colorado. I just want to update you on what's going on with this laptop. Now, a lot of you say we have, the president should not emphasize that the debate too much on the laptop. All right. You should bring it up, though. And you should bring it up in this context. Hunter Biden, your son, has been out there in at least four countries. Uh, dealing international business in which he has almost no experience. But the proof shows and the emails reveal that he's trading on your name. And the last one in 2017, although a private citizen, I think disturbing the American people need to know, that according to Hunter Biden's partner, Tony uh, Bolinsky, he spent 30, 37 years in the military. Somehow he got partnered up with Hunter Biden. After reading the, the Senator Johnson report, he is outraged because they were double dealing behind his back. What? He confirms that those emails are authentic. He confirms the anything he was involved with are real, and they were his. And he is all over this email chain. He said they had a deal set up in China. They absolutely traded on his dad's name. Uh, he said what incensed him is, reading this, they found that they were getting tens of millions of dollars behind his back without telling him. He says the Johnson report revealed that Hunter wanted to use the China deal, which brought him billions of dollars and his dad $10 million to his personal biggie piggy bank. He said the Johnson report uh, connected the dots and showed him, I'm quoting now, that the Bidens went behind his back and made millions every day uh, and never told them about it. He said he he said that he's asking the Biden family now to address the American people and outline the facts so they could go about so he could go back to being irrelevant. These are his words. Also, he says, looking behind the curtain and he's concerned what he saw when he looked behind the curtain. He says the families aggressively leveraged the family name into making millions and some of those millions 
um, uh, were from, from China. He believes the American people need to know this before Election Day. He doesn't want to get famous. He was dragged into it because Hunter reportedly dropped off that laptop at a local computer store and never picked it up. David, listening in Georgia. Hey, David. How are you, Mr. Kermit? Good. What's on your mind? I know it's very tight in Georgia, Senate race and the presidential race. Uh, yes, yes, it, it definitely is. And uh, I had uh, just spoke to, to a gentleman before, and I told him that I was a, still kind of an undecided voter, not so much as on the fence anymore. Uh, I was actually just uh, happened to stumble across your radio station and listening to some of the things you were talking about the candidate. And uh, but I was just looking to see if uh, you have any advice on the on the differences on um, uh, maybe that can help me become even more undecided on who I should vote for. Well, who are you thinking about? You leaning towards Biden or Trump, and why? Uh, well, you know the you know I look at Biden, and there's really not a a lot of stuff he's done in his uh, life in the Senate or even vice president, but. You know, just for the fact that I look at it, it's more of a unification, you know, of our country under Biden. But yet, you know, Trump's policy seems to be better economically, but yet him as a figure, it's kind of divisive, you know, kind of splits the country in half. So that's kind of mad. Well, he'd have you if you could bring the country together. Here's my problem, David. The 1980s, Joe Biden had a chance to bring the country together. Even though they were going through an impeachment in the 90s, you had Joe Biden, you had Bill Clinton dealing with Newt Gingrich to literally balance the budget down to zero. Uh, But the downside was they ended up cutting deals because Clinton had no choice. He would actually take the policies Republicans would put forward and take them as his own. The country began to rock. But by the time it was done, Clinton, with all his pardons, divided the country. Then Bush gets elected. But we divide again on the controversy with Florida and how he eventually won out. Whether you like Bush or not, and I do, the country stayed divided because they looked at him as illegitimate. Then in comes 9-11, in comes the Iraq War, and the war doesn't go as quick, as, as smooth as possible. And even though we had all those votes in the Senate, Democratic votes in the Senate, they feel as though they were misled. Not true, but they feel as though they were misled. They're going to get back. In comes the collapsing economy at the end, and Barack Obama was supposed to unify the country. I think we agreed that he did not unify the country, and I find it hard to believe that he, that he actually put an effort in. In fact, the first meeting Barack Obama had, Eric Cantor was the majority leader, and he looked at him and said, um, I won, you lost. Elections have consequences. Same thing with uh, Senator McCain. They're in a big meeting to bring everyone together, and he looked at John McCain and he says, you know, the campaign's over, John. Wow. That was a body blow, which he got over. But things never got better. And I think Republicans could have been more unified. But if I would love to see Trump, who was once a Democrat, without the Mueller report hanging over his head, without electorals looking to defect, without the Russians evidently getting credit for his victory, without Hillary Clinton refusing to accept defeat, I would love to see him on the level playing field just having arguments about policy not about fundamental legitimacy, and I think you'll see it coming together. I like my chances with this president much more than Joe Biden as president because I don't think he'll be leading much. When the guy that knows him best, Barack Obama, says, don't, over, uh, don't ever underestimate the chances of Joe Biden effing things up, that to me is beyond a red flag. Back in a moment. 
Coming to you on a need-to-know basis because, man, do you need to know. You're with Brian Kilmeade. With Fox News Podcasts Plus, you can enjoy all your favorite Fox News podcasts without commercials. Subscribe now at foxnewspodcasts.com. The talk show that's getting you talking. You're with Brian Kilmeade. I think there's some clear momentum for President Trump, particularly, I think, with black men. I think we've been carrying on a facade for three and a half years as black men that somehow we can't relate to Donald Trump, that we didn't celebrate him in hip-hop music for decades, that he wasn't friends with countless black athletes, entertainers, celebrities. Look, in a part of this interview that we'll air in full tonight on OutKick, he mentioned that at one point he and Jesse Jackson were friends. And then he's like, Jesse Jackson may still say positive things about me. So there's been a charade, I think, particularly among black men, pretending that they don't have something in common with President Trump. And that facade is starting to end. That was Jason Whitlock, who outkick. Uh, he's a great guest uh, in sports and in life. He got to sit down with the president of the United States. The president respects him. He also respects the black community. And he does not know what happened uh, after the election, but he's been powered ahead, going full blast, trying to win people over since by his actions, while not always being the most eloquent with his words. He's talking about Mike Tyson, George Foreman. You're talking about Daryl Strawberry. You're talking about Herschel Walker. You're talking about Jim Brown. These guys all like him. They prefer to hang out with him. People that know him, Ben Carson, said, this guy's a cool guy. I like the way he leads. And he's very similar to people in raw environments because if you hit him in the nose, he's going to hit you back. He does it verbally. They do it in a business suit. But that's the same way when people have to watch their own back. That's the same way they approach life. Uh, Joe, listen on WRCN. Hey, Joe. Brian, good morning. Uh, I agree with that, gentlemen, uh, but it's not black males who will win the election. It's white, well, I'd say suburban women, but white women. And nothing turns women off than a creepy guy touching little girls inappropriately. And from my wife, she wants to know, why aren't, isn't the Republican Party playing this over and over again, uh, Biden touching little kids like that? Because that alone should disqualify this man. You're talking about all the inappropriate hugs and uh, from, yes. yeah, and there's, there's other stuff rumored to be on other things, which I can't get into now. That would help. They should be running a lot of ads. I don't think they've been running the best campaign, Joe. Uh, the president's got a track record to run on. Um, I think they overspent early for some reason. Some of that money's gone, and I don't know why, but the president's actually to be in a one-man machine. He's Michael Jordan on the Bulls, and all four other players are standing around. Chris, listen on WHIO in Dayton, Ohio. Chris. Hi, how's it going, Brian? What's on your mind, Chris? Uh, I just wanted to call about the last uh, the recent caller about how he was on the fence with Biden and, and how Trump was making uh, the country divisive. Yep. And I just wanted to highlight that Trump is actually uh, not making the country divisive, I believe. I believe that uh, pretty much what's going on is, is the, with around the president, uh, the election day, the Democrats are are making uh, the country divisive. The way they're put the push in the election, and everything. I, I understand. You know, listen. I know Mitch McConnell said I want to make President Obama one-term president. He just said it out loud. People thought that was divisive. My feeling is Republicans haven't helped, but I think Democrats are worse. And I do think Trump, if given the opportunity, four more years, he'll begin to bring everyone together.
From the Fox News Podcasts Network, download and listen to The Untold Story with Martha McCallum. The host of The Story on Fox News Channel sits down with major newsmakers each week to get their untold story. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. From the Fox News Radio Studios in New York City, giving you opinions and facts with a positive approach. It's Brian Kilmeade. Brian Kilmeade, thanks so much for listening, everybody. Coming to you from New York, heard around the country, heard around the world. This is the Brian Kilmeade Show. Chris Wallace is getting out of the shower. He should be with us shortly. And then with Douglas Murray, one of the deep thinkers out there, associate editor for The Spectator and author of The Madness of Crowds, Gender, Race, and Identity. I saw one of his columns this week, and he said, what's happening in New York, what's happening in this country with the taking down of the statues uh, and with the, the war on history that we're experiencing, he says it's now happening in, uh, in England. Lord Nelson, uh, this incredible naval uh, admiral, he is, uh, his uh, statue's being taken down. They, have, uh, they are arguing about him taking him out of history books, which is unfathomable and thinkable and stupid, as well as Winston Churchill. My goodness, what is going on here? Uh, and we'll be taking your calls as well. We know this is a real big day. We know that so many of you are pumped up for this election season, pandemic and all. The numbers are stunning. Early voting with 11 days to go uh, by absentee ballot is at 28, just about 29 million, 12.2 early voters in person. That's a stunning number. It's 60 percent of the entire total in 2016. So let's get to the big three. Now with the stories you need to know, it's Brian's Big Three. Number three. The vast majority of uh, reporters are completely ignoring it, and that's a scandal in and of itself. Based on the emails that are, that are emerging now, all we have found is verification. We haven't found any discrepancies. Wow, uh, there you go. Uh, Senator Ron Johnson uh, talking about what he's seen with the hunt for the truth when it comes to Hunter Biden's laptop. Business dealings as well as what Joe Biden may have, may, may have or may not have participated in. Now his business partner has come forward. I'm talking about Hunter business partner has come forward. A decorated military veteran. You're not going to believe what he said. Number two. I get that this president wants full credit for the economy he inherited and zero blame for the pandemic that he ignored. But you know what? The job doesn't work that way. Wow, thanks for that. Uh, 2020, closing arguments in full swing as Trump takes to the stump and Joe takes a fourth straight day off. As President Obama swings for the fences in Philly and judging by the car horns that went off in his car appearance, I guess it was well received. Number one. From the time we went to this format starting in 2012, the commission has nothing to say about what the moderators decide will be in the six sections. One of the things that was mentioned that will be in tomorrow night is something on national security and leadership. So it seems to me there is an opening if the president wants to talk yeah. about foreign policy. Wow, fantastic. Or you could do this thing called foreign policy. I'm not sure. Frank Farenkopf, always great to us to come on. It was great when he was on with Martha last night. Debate day, the tactics, the topics, the rules, and the best approach for both candidates. The fact and fiction behind the commission and the baffling decision to let moderators pick all the exact same topics from the first debate. Uh, and with us right now is one of those moderators, Chris Wallace. Welcome back. Last time on the Brian Kilmeade Show. Would you give up, Steve? Would you give up Ainsley? Give up the Brian Kilmeade Show to hitch your wagon, the two of us, Brian and Chris. Give uh, that all up, and I'll give up Fox News Sunday. You and me, an hour. All right, let's do it. one 408 7669 Will this show work? Just the two of us. It would be great. Just the two of us. 
There's no way in the world that I would watch that show. I would probably break every TV in my house and probably would never watch you again. I think you and Chris are very good together. I would definitely listen. Don't team up with Chris Wallace. Uh, Shannon, would you watch? I would watch anything that you two guys are doing, as long as it's not on at 11 o'clock. Let's see if this will work. Now, from Studio 32B, a utility closet tucked away in the sub-basement of Fox News headquarters in New York City. Because it's the only real estate they would give us. It's the Brian and Chris Show. Be involved in a radio show that'll make your your life better, which is this one. I'm biased. I don't actually believe that this is being broadcast (laughs) anywhere. I think it's just you and me. We provide the content. Without Allison Mansfield, you're nothing. Though that's not right. What's the matter, Blubby? This is not the way I should be treated. I have contempt for you, and I think you ah, basically ah, ignore me, but I don't think we hate each other. No, we don't. America's receptive voices. Now, this is good radio right now. It's Brian and Chris. Wow. Do we even have to talk? That's the whole segment. I, I was going to say, it's now 10-10 in the East. Anyway, but I, I not only do I think Brian and the Brian and Chris show, but I think we found our slogan. We don't hate each other. <laughs> I think that, you know, that's it. That's I, it. I, I like it. It works for me. All right. So, Chris, we'll see what we can do. We'll see if I can get Lorraine involved and she's okay with having you do Monday through Friday instead of working just weekends. We'll see, we'll see if we can pull this off. Yeah, she complains a lot about our not going out on Sunday, Saturday night, so I think she'd be good for it. All right, so Chris, can I bring you to something else almost as important, the moderator role. I was shocked to see on the topics, uh, race, you had race, climate change, you had climate change, COVID-19 belongs there, I get it. Uh, but national security, leadership, and families, I'm like, you have to put economy and foreign policy in there, don't you? Well, I did I did uh, the economy and mine. Look, I'm, I can only speak for mine, and, and, and since uh, I yeah. went first this time, and I will say I was a little careful about it. I'll give you an example. Um, I didn't do climate change as a as a topic for 15 minutes. Uh, I purposely did the Trump and Biden record, and in the course of that, brought up climate change, but brought up other things as well oh. um, because I thought. I mean, I know a lot of people have pushed back. I thought 15 minutes on climate change was going to be a lot, and it tended to favor one candidate over the other. You know, having said this, there was nothing that made me crazier, except for the actual debate itself, which was kind of a train wreck, than people criticizing the topics without knowing what the questions are. So let's see what Kristen Welker does, and let's see what questions she asks and how it goes and whether or not. She's allowed to get a word in edgewise, and we'll talk about the debate after it actually happens. I'm so glad to talk to you about this. So here's an example. I think the mute button's going to work, by the way. I actually think it's a relief for both candidates. Now they say, well, I can't say anything anyway. So it might even relax them to know they're going to get their full two minutes, number one. Number two is um, you have the two minutes to talk. If they decide, if you ask them a question about the economy— and they decide, well, one thing I want to – if they say to you, Chris, I'd like to go back to what, uh, what Joe Biden right. just said about race relations, would you interrupt as the moderator and say, no, that's not the question I asked? Or are they allowed to do what Mike Pence did and kind of drag the topic with them within their two minutes? Uh, I, let, let's just distinguish here. So each segment – and there are six segments, and each one is 15 minutes – Yes. you ask the same question to both of them, and each gets two minutes. Right. Then there's a free discussion for about 10 minutes where they go back and forth. 
in the two minutes when I ask my question, and let's say it's about you say the economy is great, you say the economy stinks, make your case. And now it's Biden's turn, and he says, I want to actually talk about what the president said on something else. It's his two minutes. And I, no, I would not interrupt. If he did that during the free discussion, I, I would, you know, to Biden or to Trump, I would say, well, you know, I'd give him a little running room. They're the candidates. I'm the moderator. But I would at some point say, well, you know, that's very interesting that you talked about what your favorite color, but I would like to get back to the economy. Right. Okay. Um, interesting. Because that when they actually have the free form, that's when it could get rude again, correct? Yes. Yes. And, and let me just say this in defense of muting the microphones. The rules that both sides agreed to were when uh, you asked the toss-up question, uh, you know, this sounds like the GE College Bowl. Remember the toss-up question? You're too young. You don't even yeah, remember, I don't remember the College Bowl with Alan, Lund- Alan Lund- 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 Betty White's husband. Yeah, you know, I promise you there are some listeners here who they remember know. what I'm talking about, uh, us old folks. But in any case, um, when you uh, – what the hell was I going to say? <laughs> what was I well, It was the old, the old format, that, that yes. format of that show. Yes. But in any case, when you ask the toss up question, they, they can talk about. And, oh, I know what it was the mute button. So when when you the rules that they agreed, when you ask the toss up question, it was the rule that everybody agreed to was that you get two minutes uninterrupted. I get two minutes uninterrupted. Now, both of them were starting to interrupt the president more in the two minutes that was exclusively for Biden and Biden for Trump. So all they're really doing is enforcing the rules, saying you're, you agreed to, you wouldn't interrupt. Some of you, some of you, you did interrupt, so we're now going to enforce the rule by muting the button. But during the free discussion, there's no muting of buttons. Gotcha. So I want to bring it to you. I want to get your assessment of how close have you been following the New York Post story with the laptop dropped off to the Delaware repair shop? I can't say that I know everything about it, but I know enough about it. Do you think it's a valid issue? Does anything bother you about the story that makes you think you shouldn't talk about it, run it, or comment on it? Well, you know, if it were brought to me at first, I wouldn't talk about it until I had investigated it because there's a lot of stuff that seems sketchy on it. It's out there now. There's no way you cannot talk about it. I understand some of our colleagues in the media aren't talking about it. And I think you do have to be careful because there's a lot of stuff in here that is is sketchy. But I think it's a legitimate issue and it has to be talked about. And, um, you know, I think there are two questions here. One as far as I can tell, and maybe, you know, you, you probably have looked at it more closely than I have. There are two questions. One, did Biden, Joe Biden, the president, the vice president, did he know about Hunter Biden's business dealings? Because he's been on the record saying, I didn't know anything about it. That that would seem to be in real jeopardy, that, that, that his claim of that. There seems to be a lot of evidence that he did have some knowledge of it. I, look, I always thought that was uh, bull anyway. I mean, he, his son is working for uh, a, a big company in uh, Ukraine, and he's getting $50,000 a month. He's on the plane going to China, and and uh, Biden doesn't know why his son, why Hunter, hey, Hunter, what are you doing here in Beijing? Uh, so I've always thought that was uh, very uh, sketchy, and I think that's absolutely legitimate. The question as to whether or not he benefited, you know, this email about let's save 10% for the big guy. Incidentally, if we do the, the Brian and Chris show, 
you uh, are to refer to me only as the big guy going forward. Well, okay? my, I would say normally yes, but now it's got negative connotation, so I think you should rethink that. No, no, no I still like it. I, nobody has ever called me the big guy in 73 years on this earth. I want to be called the big guy, like I want to be called oligarch. Now, as far as the money is concerned— Can I just you know, help you with actually... this big guy comment? Sources told Fox News that the big guy referenced in, the, in this uh, email right. is Vice President Joe Biden. I understand. Here's what here's my only concern about that. So according to the computer guy who the fix it guy, MacIsaac, see, I did know a little about this story. He gave the hard drive that included this email to the FBI in December. Joe Biden is just another candidate running for, for president at that point. He's not the nominee or anything. So wouldn't you think that the FBI would have launched an investigation Absolutely. at that point into whether or not – because we've seen his, his uh, tax returns from 2019, and he didn't claim that he got you know 10 percent of whatever the, the ill-gotten gains were uh, for the big guy. So he would have lied, would have been, been involved in lying to the IRS and tax evasion. I just find it hard to believe well, we, that none of this came out if the FBI had the hard drive and they found anything to it. Well, a couple of things. Uh, the FBI special agent who picked it up and signed it uh, was Joshua Wilson, according to documents that Fox obtained. And you can see a picture of the receipt of the property. You can see a picture of of uh, you can see a picture of the these emails. So they're out there. So Mike Emanuel. Uh, and some great producers in Washington are verifying as much as they can. And then out came his business partner who says he's outraged because he was on this deal. He's a decorated veteran, 37 years as an Army intel officer. He's teaming somehow. His name is Tony Bobolinsky, and he's teaming with Hunter Biden. He said when he, be, when he read the Johnson report, 97 pages long, it talked about the millions that they were all getting, and he was totally left in the dark about. He said the American, he goes, the American people need to know this, and then I'm going to go back to my anonymous, irrelevant life. That was his self-effacing yeah, good, good, way. Good luck with that, because when you when you put your head above the the uh, the trench line, it, it, nothing bad ever happens. No, I'm not saying that the FBI didn't pick it up. What I'm saying is if the FBI gets a hard drive that indicates that Joe Biden, again, just a Democratic candidate, nom- not the nominee, not that that should make any difference, in December of 2019, was basically involved in money laundering or lying to the FBI or lying to the IRS. Rather, wouldn't you think that this would right. have come out in the la- in the last next 10 months? I'm not saying he didn't get the uh, the, the yeah. emails. I'm just saying I wonder if they check out. Chris, I'm only have a couple of minutes left. This is what bothers me most about it. I think if Trump emphasizes too much and gets in the weeds, people are going to roll their eyes in this pandemic era we're in. I get it. It's not Hillary Clinton emails. I think it should be brought up, leaving the addiction out of it. And I just think that if you're going to say, listen, Joe, are you compromising the Ukraine, Kazakhstan, China, and Romania? That's where these business deals lead, and that could tie you to it. But the, what bothers me most about all of it is that they blocked the New York Post from uh, from putting this out. They, If you go to retweet this, they freeze your account. You can't find this on Facebook. That, to me, is no, putting I, your hand on the scale. That's what bothers I, me. I think that's, I think that's absolutely outrageous. I look, the whole thing may stink. You may find out that, in fact, all of this is true, and then that will be even worse because you know, I, I'm saying if. But clearly, for the for – the, when this ends up – you know, if this is if you have the sense this is Russian disinformation or this came from a bot, but this was on the front page of a major American paper, the president is talking about it. How can you? This is why I never liked the idea of a mute button in the middle of a debate 
that me as the moderator, I'm going to hit, hit a mute button and say, no, I'm not going to let you hear what the president wants to say. I'm sorry, Twitter, and I'm sorry, Facebook. If the president wants to make this an issue, you can't say to the American people, he, you know, the president wants to talk about it, but I'm, we're not going to let you hear it. I completely right. agree. So that you're is, against the mute. Wrong. You're against the mute button. I'm fine, fine with the mute button for the two minutes because they're not supposed to interrupt anyway. But, you know, and it was not even an issue before the first debate. But afterwards, people said, okay. well, how about you as the moderator? You have a mute button. And if one guy is interrupting, you can just mute him during the free discussion. I think that's a terrible idea. Yeah, it was a great idea having you on. We'll see where this sitcom, not sitcom, we'll see where our talk show goes. Uh, Chris <laughs> well, Wallace. Well, with sitcom. <laughs> and just remember, the Brian and Chris show. They don't hate each other. You got it. Chris Wallace, until the next time. Right. Yes, sir. Celebrating 10 years. Wait, has it really been that long? As usual, you've made it all about yourself. It's the Brian Kilmeade Show. New from the Fox News Podcasts Network. My name is Kennedy, and welcome to my podcast, which will, I humbly say, single-handedly save the world. You're welcome. It's Kennedy Saves the World. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. He's so busy, he'll make your head spin. It's Brian Kilmeade. We literally left this White House a pandemic playbook that would have shown them how to respond before the virus reached our shores. They probably used it to, I don't know, prop up a wobbly table somewhere. We don't know where that playbook went. Eight months into this pandemic, cases are rising again across this country. Donald Trump isn't suddenly going to protect all of us. He can't even take the basic steps to protect himself. Well, he could, could deliver a good speech. He's very clever speech, totally inaccurate speech. Yeah, they left a pandemic playbook for the past pandemic, not this one, not an airborne virus, which we weren't even given a heads up on. And I'm not talking about Donald Trump. I'm talking about the CDC. I'm talking about this guy that everybody loves, 77-year-old Anthony Fauci. He was caught flat-footed. You could have the biggest book in the world. How do you stop a virus you haven't seen yet? And we still don't know where it came from till this day. And if cases are going up, I say you're right. Guess else, where else they're going up? Germany. You love Merkel, don't you? Macron. You love Macron. His suits fit great. Boris Johnson, you never were against him. How has he done? Cases are through the roof. They're partially locked down again. You're still blaming the president? Derek, listening on KZRG. Derek. Hey, Brian. Good morning. Just want to say real quick, uh, thank you for doing what you do, fighting this fight every day. Um, I just want to touch on one thing real quick uh, about the president being divisive. Uh, the country was already becoming divided, I believe sharply divided under Obama. Our conservative values were not being represented, and the country was being steered in a direction from what we want. Derek, um, you remember. So nobody else remembers. They think it was the good old days. They weren't the good old days. And um, when we come back, I'll take some more calls. Also welcome in Douglas Murray. We'll put it all in perspective from a global perspective. It's the Hammer Time Podcast. Fox News Channel's Bill Hammer takes you one-on-one with engaging personalities covering the critical issues of the day. Find Hammer Time now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. America's listening to Fox News. Information you want. Truth you demand. This is the Brian Kilmeade Show. The problem is the corruption that is absolutely pervasive 
in the U.S. news media. There are newsrooms right. all throughout New York and Washington, D.C., where top editors are explicitly saying they do not want this story investigated. And they're being clear that the reason that they don't want it investigated is because they think even if there's corruption that's exposed here, in their view, Trump is worse. And therefore, it would be malfeasance on the part of the media to report corruption on the part of Biden when Trump is so much more corrupt. What they're really saying is they see their role as journalists not as informing the public to let the public decide which candidate is better and which is worse. They see journalism, the function of it, is to defeat Donald Trump and elect Joe Biden. Glenn Greenwald from The Intercept, co-founder, liberal writer, leans left, certainly not a Trump fan, just outraged that this New York Post story, which considers not opinion but emails from Hunter Biden that implicates, by almost all accounts now confirmed as of yesterday, with Hunter Biden's partner, that Joe Biden was involved, who's running for president, and people like people on CNN say it's a Russian disinformation campaign. So-called experts saying the same thing. When it comes to social media, you can't retweet the story without losing control of Twitter or Facebook. This is outrageous. But is it outrageous to Douglas Murray, associate editor for The Spectator and author of a great book, The Madness of Crowds, Gender, Race, and Identity? Douglas, I can't believe that the media is conspiring not to do this story. I'm very good to be with you, Brian. I can't believe it either. I can't believe I agree with Glenn Greenwald, by the way. Yeah. And I can't believe that there is now having to emerge a coalition of people across right and left who are simply and rightly outraged by the fact that the tech companies seem to think that it is their job to decide how the American election goes. It's a scandal. It's a huge scandal. And they don't seem to mind. The power of big tech is something that some of us have warned about for years. They've had far too much power for years. But even those of us who are warning about that, I think, didn't ever reckon that in the 2020 election, big tech will be trying to make the call itself. And they're trying to tell us what to learn. So I wouldn't mind debating the story saying these emails mean this. And what do you mean by uh, the big guy is Vice President Biden? I never thought we'd be saying I'm ignoring the story about somebody who wants to be the most important person in the free world. And how dare you bring it up? It's Russian disinformation. When the DNI, Justice Department of Justice, and now the FBI all agree it's not Russian disinformation. Douglas, That's I right. never thought we'd get to this place before. No, it's an exceptionally dangerous moment in American history because, you know, we've had disagreements before in America. Of course we have. Across the aisle, different papers, you know, broadly speaking, speak to different political constituencies. That's all very familiar. We know how to deal with that. But we had, first of all, common space in which to talk. You know, we had common space to agree on and disagree on things. The dinner table didn't used to be the war zone it's become in American life. And there's a reason for that, which is that the tech companies have a financial interest in division. They've been stoking it for years. I write about it in The Madness of Crowds, the way in which they deliberately, as part of their policy to make money, divide America. But to then come to this stage where, you know, it's not like the New York Post is some kind of, you know, a new bot on Twitter, you know, that no one knows what it is. It's not like it's something that, you know, it's easy to deride as being something that may have been made up by some spooky Russian agent only yesterday. It's America's most venerable and oldest running paper founded by Alexander Hamilton. The idea, the audacity of the tech companies in trying to not just 
just push the New York Post to the sides of public life, but to try to disappear the New York Post. And that's what it is. As you say, people posting links to the New York Post are finding their Twitter accounts suspended, their Facebook accounts suspended. So it's not just that we can't, you know, you, as you say, you know, well, you may agree with this, I may agree with that. It's not, they're not even allowing us to do that anymore. Big tech is telling us there's only one answer to everything. There's only one stream of information you can get, and that's because there's only one way you can vote next month. Douglas, I, we had Niall, uh, uh, Neil Ferguson on. He's at Hoover. He wrote a book predicting they'll be, uh, they'll be held to pay for the Trump team when he goes for re-election because they feel responsible for the fact he was elected first because they mastered mm. Facebook, and they got it out, and we know that. And they said, even though their business model is make the most money, they would sacrifice users. They would sacrifice to a degree uh, Republicans and conservatives specifically in order to get Joe Biden and the left elected. Does that sound yeah. make sense to you in a capitalist economy? Well, here's the thing. It's absent. Neil Ferguson is completely right that they seem to think that they were responsible for 2016. By the way, uh, the country that both Neil and I were born in, the United Kingdom, we've had exactly the same claim about the Brexit vote. The social media companies thought that the Brexit vote had come about because they had been manipulated and they couldn't bear it. And yes, it's the same in America. They think we were responsible for the election of Donald Trump. No, it's a fundamental mistake by these arrogant companies. They they didn't elect Donald Trump. The American people elected Donald Trump, and they did so fairly in a free election. And in the same way, the British public voted to leave the European Union. It wasn't because big tech told them to, but big tech thought that they had some responsibilities. Absolutely true. They have spent the last four years wringing their hands, thinking we are responsible for Donald Trump being elected. And so now they have to counter it, they believe. It's the most anti-democratic thing imaginable. You know, we've known for all our lifetimes, there have been rows about the media, media companies. This company, this, this, this um, owner's got too many papers. That owner's got too much. And all the time, the biggest monopolies ever sidled through, put themselves at the center of public life, and now in 2020 have the audacity to think that they can dictate the American election. It's unbelievable. Uh, but Douglas, I also read a column of yours. It struck me, and I've been seeing this but not seeing it up close. So the whole taking down of statue from Frederick Douglass to Abraham Lincoln, which is just unthinkable because Frederick Douglass, an escaped slave who helped make sure that Lincoln and he worked together to bring this country back together before and after the Civil War, he gets his statue taken down. Lincoln gets his statue taken down. Washington gets schools no longer named for him. And you said what happens in America is happening in England. They're, they're defiling Winston Churchill's statue and Lord Nelson. How, how did we start this and why did it continue over in England? It's a fascinating uh, subject, and I've been thinking about it a lot. I've been touring around America all this month, seeing the current state of the country. And uh, I just spent the last week in the hub of all of this in Portland, Oregon. And I can tell you what, what you see there is a little glimpse of what's to come for all of us if we go down the route that some of the left want us to go down. You know, there isn't a statue left on a plinth in Oregon. A, a, a tour of Portland these days is a tour of empty plinths with nothing on it. 
they pulled down Abraham Lincoln a couple of weeks ago. Abraham Lincoln. I know. Uh, it's just outrageous. You know, I spoke to a local. I said, what do you think about this? He said, oh, I guess what goes up what com- is what comes down. I thought, how can people be so blithe about their history? And yes, this ahistorical anti-American stuff has been washing across the Atlantic. It washes across everywhere. You know, American culture has so much great stuff to be said about it. America has given so much to the world in culture as in everything else. But one thing the world could do without, I can tell you, is the the export of this far-left idea that everyone who lived before 2020 doesn't quite make it for us you know they haven't they've disappointed us they don't live up to our current standards we find that not not everyone who's dead uh, uh, was on board with gay marriage you know 300 years ahead of the legislation you know not everybody who's who's had a statue put up with them has absolutely the views that we have today in america uh, uh, about civil rights equality and much more and these reprehensible brats in american life night after night set out and they haul down american history and all the time the question in my mind in recent days in particular as i've gone to see these mad so-called anti-fascist, actually fascist crowds parading through American cities and taunting your law enforcement and provoking your law enforcement. All the time I've had the same thought, which is what the hell happened to the adults? Why have the adults not stopped these kids tearing down portions of your country? Well, it's going to run rampant. It might be he might be the president, President Trump. Uh, but it's these liberal cities that say you let people sound out because of America's racist uh, past, which is, uh, is, is, is disturbing in so many fashions. So I'm watching Shelby Steele's documentary about Storm Ferguson, what happened to Michael Brown and Ferguson. He brings us right up to George Floyd. And he said when he was protesting in the 60s, it was to get, uh, to get America to let black America in. What they're doing now, and I'll paraphrase it, is saying that we don't want in, we want to change it, we want to burn it down. And he says that's that's why he cannot accept this movement. That's right. That's absolutely right. I I, I marched with so-called Antifa undercover. I went to two of their demonstrations in the last few days in Portland. Wait a second, you couldn't have. That's an ideology. That's not a thing. Yeah, I, I spoke to a local restaurant owner, one of the very br- few brave people who's dared to open a business in that benighted liberal city in the last few months. And there was this business owner. He's he's a black man, as it happens. He's a terrific guy. He's a, he's a patriot of the United States. He's got pictures on the walls of first responders. And he has bullets through his windows. He has bullet holes in his windows because he has posters of first responders in America. Unbelievable. Because he's a patriotic American. He said to me the other day, an ideology did not fire those bullets through the window alone. (laughs) And that's the problem. From the top of the Democratic Party, there is an excuse for these fascists pretending to be anti-fascists, firing bullets at black owned businesses like everything else they don't like. Here's uh, Jason Whitlock sat down with the president yesterday and talked about black America and how they are reaching out to African-American men. Cut 41. I think there's some clear momentum for President Trump, particularly, I think, with black men. I think we've been carrying on a facade for three and a half years as black men that somehow we can't relate to Donald Trump, that we didn't celebrate him in hip hop music for decades that he wasn't friends with countless 
black athletes, entertainers, celebrities. It, it, look, in a part of this interview that we'll air in full tonight on OutKick, he mentioned that at one point he and Jesse Jackson were friends. And that he's right. like, Jesse Jackson may still say positive things about me. So there's been a charade, I think, particularly among black men, pretending that they don't have something in common with President Trump. And that facade is starting to end. So uh, that gives me hope because I have no interest mm. in one party representing one ethnic group. And the Republicans have been terrible trying to reach out to the black community. And I think this president's different in that way. Do you think it'll it'll show up in election day? It's possible. I've spoken to a couple of activists uh, in the states who have been trying to lead this effort in in making sure that the black vote for Trump goes up in this election. And they assure me there's all sorts of stuff still to come, which would be very interesting to see. They've reeled off a, na- a whole set of people who are meant to be coming out for him in the coming days. It certainly would make sense because, uh, after all, there's no... I mean, unless you imbibe the liberal media, which keeps on telling you that there's only one... One way to vote, just like big tech tells you there's only one way to vote, then of course the uh, the black population in this country would, like all other populations, be diverse in its voting habits. And of course, a portion of the population is going to say, you know, Donald Trump's the candidate for me. He's, he's an aspirational figure. Uh, he actually wants to address things like violence in the inner cities. I mean, you know, all the time that the left's been talking about, you know, their obsession with historical injustice. You see murder rates doubling every week in, this, in, in a city like Chicago. You know, the, it may well be that a larger number of black people at this election in America say, actually, we do want to vote for the guy who, uh, who, who, who is focused on the real effort to bring down, you know, black on black violence among much else. And they, there's no reason why they wouldn't. And what's best is that more and more people have been noticing that the liberal media and indeed the top of the Democratic Party have been lying to them about the idea that if you're black, there's only one way to vote. I mean, that is just another of these scandals in American life. Absolutely. People should vote whichever way they want, irrespective of their skin color. Absolutely. And the, the, race, the racist idea otherwise is one that in recent years has solely been pushed by the Democratic Party. Douglas uh, Murray, I always learn something when you're on. I saw you on Fox and Friends weekend, too. Thanks so much for your time. It's going to be an interesting debate tonight. Uh, and, of course, sure a great is. election next week. Douglas Murray, thank you. Great pleasure. And you can follow him at Douglas K. Murray on Twitter. Uh, when we come back, I'll take some of your calls, one 408 From Election Day to Debate Day, we have it all. Expanding your knowledge base, it's Brian Kilmeade. From the Fox News Podcasts Network, download and listen to The One with Craig Gutfeld, the co-host of The Five, like you've never heard him before. You know him, you love him, you want to be like him. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. From his mouth to to your ears, it's Brian Kilmeade. Well, the Senate's confirmed, committee anyway, uh, the Judiciary Committee has confirmed Amy Coney Barrett, and she is going to be going to the floor next week, and she'll be the next Supreme Court justice. Democrats did not show up pictures of of people needing health care. They thought that was more effective. They are angry. I understand it. But it's a popular move for the Republicans. At first, they thought there's no way they're going to fill that seat. Then I thought it's going to be unpopular. I don't blame them for filling the seat. I think after you see her 
People want, wanted that seat filled by her. Richard lives in, I think most, uh, let's say Republicans and independents. Richard living in Montreal. Hey, Richard. Hi, Brian. Um, Mike Emanuel just uh, broke news here in a text message. Tony Bobulinski is warned by business partner James Gilliard. Don't mention Joe being involved. It's only when you are face-to-face. I, I know I know you that, but they are paranoid, which I'm told is a reference to Joe Biden. So that just broke just now, and Donald Trump Jr. just um, tweeted out an expletive, holy, like, holy, you know what? Well, wait a second. I did not, you know what? You're, you're, I'm embarrassed. It's my company, and I, did, I missed that. You're saying that Mike Emanuel tweeted out a text message that was sent to him that don't bring up Joe? Yes, 39 minutes ago, Mike Emanuel broke, um, tweeted that out, and Donald Trump Jr. Um, responded 16 minutes ago. And Mike Bobulinski is the guy, the, the decorated military veteran, somehow partnered with Hunter uh, on this Chinese deal. He also has deals with Kazakhstan, Romania, and, of course, the Ukraine, which started this whole thing. And can you imagine, Richard, how different maybe the impeachment would have done, uh, been if when that FBI laptop was, when that laptop was handed over to the FBI, if that was part of the impeachment process as Nancy Pelosi took 45 days to actually have the impeachment vote through the holidays? Remember that? Think about how that would have changed things had this been out there and people saw how questionable the deals he was actually doing, let alone what you might may or may not have liked what the president did. Thanks for that, Richard. We're looking into it. John, listening in California. John. Hey, hey, Brian. Good morning. I just wanted to make the point that, you know, I was watching the news this morning and just putting it all together. And it's it's just funny to me how uh, Biden, you know, stays at home under the guise of wanting to uh, study up for the debate. But honestly, I mean, he's got Obama doing his bidding for him. Uh, he doesn't show up. He's also got um, – um, I'm losing my thought Kamala here. Harris doing – had a small appearance yesterday, which he's just he left time to call the president a racist. Yeah, he's got he's got all these people doing his bidding. He's got the uh, big tech, which I'm um, you know, here in Northern California. He's got big tech uh, sitting there saying, "You know what? We're just not, we're just going to ignore the stories." It's amazing. I can't believe it. I think the American people got to be resentful of that. And we, you know, Glenn Greenwald is a liberal guy, and he's upset. Fox Nation presents podcasts, Women of the Bible Speak. I'm Shannon Bream, host of Fox News at Night and author of the new book, Women of the Bible Speak, the wisdom of 16 women and their lessons for today. Subscribe now on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, foxnewspodcast.com, or wherever you download your podcasts. Live from the Fox News radio studios in New York City, fresh off the set of Fox and Friends, it's America's receptive voice. Brian Kilmeade. Wow, things are going a little bit crazy here. Let me just uh, mute my televisions, but I've been watching what's been going on with this latest on this Hunter Biden situation and his business partner, 37 years in the military, came out and basically said, confirmed that Joe Biden's involved in these deals and profiting off these deals. They're not on his tax returns. Their argument's been, it's not on his tax returns, so he couldn't have profited. That's an additional problem. You just made yourself worse, in my humble opinion. So, by the way, these Russians are really great. Now they're getting decorated military veterans to go work with Delaware computer repair shops who call the FBI. These Russians are geniuses. Thank goodness we got ahead of that one. And in case you haven't picked it up yet, I'm being sarcastic. The New York Post, where we're located in, is a common daily newspaper, but it's also nationally respected. It's also the nation's oldest newspaper and the fourth biggest in the country and seen and read around the world. If you're like me, I don't, I don't buy it anymore. I download it. It's something you've got to have before doing this show. 
And this is the story that nobody else wants to carry because they say it's Russian disinformation. I'll give more on that in just a second. Uh, the man who's been breaking a lot of this news will be joining us in 25 minutes. It'll be Mike Emanuel of the Fox News authenticating a lot of the emails. I don't know everything he has, but more news is just broken on this. And Congressman Jason Chaffetz uh, has been watching goings-on in Washington, has been listening to what Joe Biden's been saying, and is going to talk about how Joe Biden's Washington would be a lot more different and not in a good way, my opinion. So let's get to the big three. Now with the stories you need to know, it's Brian's Big Three. Number three. The vast majority of uh, reporters are completely ignoring it, and that's a scandal in and of itself. Based on the emails that are, that are emerging now, all we have found is verification. We haven't found any discrepancies. Wow, there you go. Senator Ron Johnson, the hunt for the truth when it comes to Hunter Biden's laptop, business dealings, and perhaps how his dad may have benefited but not declared it. Number two. I get that this president wants full credit for the economy he inherited and zero blame for the pandemic that he ignored. But you know what? The job doesn't work that way. Barack Obama yesterday, 2020, closing arguments in full swing as Trump takes to the stump again and Joe takes a fourth straight day off. President Obama swings for the fences in Philly and, judge, by the way, did not really praise Joe Biden. And judging by the car horns, because he spoke to a cars in a parking lot, not people in seats, he was well received. Number one. From the time we went to this format starting in 2012, the commission has nothing to say about what the moderators decide will be in the six sections. One of the things that was mentioned that will be in tomorrow night is something on national security and leadership. So it seems to me there is an opening if the president wants to talk yeah. about foreign policy. Well, why do we need that opening? Frank Farenkopf, a great guy, Republican, represented on the debate commission, he's the chairperson, talked about the facts and fiction and the topics and the rules with these debates. The fact is the commission leapt up to the moderator all the topics. My problem is, is the topics are very much the same as last time. Congressman Jason Chaffetz knows this tough inside now, Fox News contributor, of course. Congressman, I'm just disappointed. Uh, I want to talk about the Hunter Biden emails, but in terms of topics, the economy should be right after the coronavirus, and then foreign policy should be right after that. And we have family, race relations again. We have climate change again. We have leadership. Okay, you can slide it in there, and the national security. All right, got to bring up ISIS there. But why are we wedging in the issues that matter most? Well, thanks for having me on, Brian. Look, there should have been three debates, um, but the idea that you're going to take a nation who's going to vote on the president of the United States and leave it in the hands of just one person, and then she decides unilaterally, by the way, with all of her Democratic ties, to, to do a repeat of some of the other questions, I, I, I it doesn't – foreign policy, how can you not – Ask the president of the United States about foreign policy. It happens to be one of the strong suits, though, for Donald Trump and a real weak point for Joe Biden. Well, this is what you have to be able to do. And, and I heard that the president's just uh, doing speeches and tough interviews. That's how he's preparing. I, I hope he prepares a little bit more because when it comes to Joe Biden's foreign policy, Gates came out and said he's been wrong on every foreign policy and national security decision for the last 40 years. It was his idea to cut off Gaddafi and then leave that place to become a terror university. It was his idea and his administration not to reinforce the red line. It was his idea to trump 
General Mattis, and pull all the troops out of Iraq that got us ISIS that he labeled, along with President Obama, the JV team. We know how problematic that was. It was his administration that allowed the Ukraine to be cut up, and then when it was time to arm the Ukrainians, he sent them food, cup of noodles. He never sent them weapons. Donald Trump did. And it was this administration that put NATO and made them pony up more money by the hundreds of millions of dollars and and, uh, and add armor to the east-west border in Europe. And I can go on between recognizing Jerusalem, between bringing in two more peace deals, to reestablishing uh, relations with Israel, and severing from Iran. Please tell me what foreign policy you think is better. Yeah, they, they, like I said, it's a real strong suit for Donald Trump. I, I think the idea that Joe Biden and the Barack Obama sent $150 billion to Iran. Uh, and wants to stay in the Iranian deal. Um, Look, what Donald Trump has done, and the other thing is he's brought more than, I think, 25 people back home that were hostages or illegally detained around the country. But there ought to be a couple questions about that. We're going to go through the whole presidential debate, and nobody's going to ask Joe Biden a question about this, and nobody's going to get a chance to hear the contrast. There really is, this really is a choice election, Brian, because you can go right down from energy to the economy to health care and certainly foreign policy and see a distinct difference between these two people. But when Joe Biden's just hiding in the basement and won't get a tough question, even when he does sit down for an interview, and then you don't have it brought up in the debate, I think it shortchanges the American people. But hopefully people will see right through that. I hope so, but I hope the president prepares. And I know instinctively he knows how much better he is, but he's got to know specifically because people need to see it. Race, climate change, COVID-19, American families, leadership, national security are the ones. Now, when it comes to the Hunter Biden emails, I want you to hear what Bill McGurn recommended the president do. Cut seven. Donald Trump is going to make that debate in part about uh, the Hunter Biden emails. The two questions are, will he do it in a way that makes it an issue the way Vice President Pence did an excellent job of uh, making Kamala Harris's and Joe Biden's avoidance of the court packing issue a real issue? drove it home. Question is whether the president will do that or whether he'll turn off people by being too aggressive. The even bigger question for me is whether the moderator or whether Joe Biden will be forced to give clear answers instead of just a an angry denunciation or talking about a Russian disinformation campaign that the DNI and FBI now disavowed. So good points, right? It is. And I think the president can do that by simplifying it and framing it as a question to the vice president. I understand the frustration Donald Trump has had over the last four years, the attacks that he has taken unwarranted over the years on all of this crap that the Democrats and those within the bureaucracy of of the FBI and others have thrown at him. But he's got to set aside that anger and that frustration and be able to frame it crystal clear to Joe Biden and ask him some simple questions that if he doesn't ask, become terribly awkward. And I think he can do that if he is disciplined, because you're only given a few seconds, but you got to ask him just point blank, simple questions for Joe Biden that he can't really answer. And it'll be fascinating to see how, how he deals with it. And I think that's where, if the president just lets him go, uh, I think that that'll work to his advantage. And the two minutes, and I know you're going to hear in yeah. the background, that's not true and things like that, but to his advantage. Here's uh, here's what he just said to 60 Minutes. We might not hear the whole thing, Eric, but 
Here's a, this is the soundbite they just released from his interview at 60 Minutes on court packing. Cut 20. If elected, what I will do is I'll put together a national commission of bipartisan commission of scholars, constitutional scholars, Democrats, Republicans, liberal, conservative. And I will uh, ask them to, over uh, 180 days, come back to me with recommendations as to how to uh, reform the court system because it's getting out of whack. Um, the way in which it's ha being handled. And it's not about court packing. There's a number of other things that our constitutional scholars have debated, and I'd look to see what recommendations that commission might make. So you're telling us you're going to study this issue about whether to pack the court. No, whether there's a number of alternatives that are go well beyond packing. This is a live ball. Oh, it is a live ball. No, it is a live ball. We're going to have to do that. And you're going to find there's a lot of conservative constitutional scholars who are saying it as well. The last thing we need to do is turn the Supreme Court into just a political football. Whoever has the most votes gets whatever they want. Presidents come and go. Supreme Court justices stay for generations. So we've lasted over 200 years, but he wants to change it now. And he's going to get conservatives and Democrats to come up with a plan. What's he talking about? Well, I thought those questions were... I mean, about as weak as you can get. Previously, with Amy Coney Bryant, Vice President Biden has said that her advancement to the Supreme Court was unconstitutional. What are you talking about? Explain that to us. Joe Biden, for, for a very long time, chaired the Senate Judiciary Committee. He can't claim ignorance on this stuff. To say that he's got to get a commission, well, come on, he's been there for nearly 50 years, and you're telling me he's got to get some board to make some recommendations hogwash he's just trying to punt this i think we all know that he wants to expand the court because democrats have been losing elections they lost in 2016 and they they don't like the idea that the courts are becoming more conservative but it's following the constitutional principles they go through the senate confirmation process and i sat there for eight years and was lectured by barack obama when i was in congress by hearing, oh, well, elections have consequences. There are a lot of people that voted for Donald Trump and Mike Pence because of the Supreme Court and the court issue. They didn't like the direction the courts were going, and they're going through the constitutionally approved process. But for Joe Biden to say he's going to do a commission to hogwash, he fundamentally wants to change it because he's been on the losing side of things. There's no question. I mean, this is bigger than packing the court. He says it's bigger than the Supreme Court. He wants to change yeah. everything because Donald Trump filled hundreds of seats. He wants to find a way to do that by changing everything. It, it really should scare people. And if you really sit back and think about it, they want to manipulate another branch of government to get their way and put in the progressive policies because they know that their policies in the light of day are so radical they can't get them passed in the United States Congress. So they want to go to a court, change the court, so that people are forced to get these, these things done without the elected officials. That's what they're trying to do. So I would just big picture, a big picture question because, uh, Jason, a lot of these people are the, in Congress now are still your friends. Uh, there's been a lot of stories written of late in Washington Post and New York Times specifically that Republicans are uneasy about the president's prospect and starting to distance themselves. Outside Ben Sass, what have you seen? No, I, I see Ben Sass and I see Mitt Romney. And I see them as outliers, and I think they will pay a heavy political cost uh, down the road. But I tell you, as I crisscross the country, and I've been speaking at events everywhere from Montana to Arizona to Dallas to Iowa to 
Missouri. I've been out there, and I'm telling you, there is zero Joe Biden enthusiasm. You don't see organic signs. You don't see anybody saying, oh, boy, I can't wait for, for Joe Biden to be out there. What you do see is that you see people with flags in their cars and homemade signs in rural areas and even downtown all supporting Donald Trump. I mean, this is why we have an election. But I think this idea and this notion, this fake news story that says, oh, our colleagues are running, you know, the colleagues are running away from Donald Trump. I don't believe it at all. He has more internal Republican base support than he had four years ago. And, and and I think it's a real strong suit for him. Yeah, the Democrats are desperate to show that, tell that story. And when I mean Democrats, I mean everyone except Fox. Uh, that's everywhere I see. They're trying to run the same stories and ignore this story about Hunter Biden's emails. Now the business part of Hunter Biden is directly linking Joe Biden to this story and has just released text messages of interaction with Hunter Biden about Joe Biden called the big guy and the chairman in these text messages. Good luck blaming this on Russia. This guy involved is a decorated, retired Navy officer who was brought in to, to be CEO of a of a fund that they put together. And he has had it because he sees that they were going behind the scenes, making millions of dollars behind his back. And now he's coming out full bore. Good luck blaming this on Russia. See it. I dare see it in MSNBC to continue to ignore this story, let alone the New York Times and Washington Post. They should just give up their mantle and masthead. Uh, lastly, Congressman, I know you know the Mormon community being from Utah. I know there's a big Mormon constituency in Arizona. Do you have a sense of if they are looking to flip like Mitt Romney is on the president? No, I don't think so. Look, one of the core issues for the members of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints is abortion. And they are not going to go in mass and vote for Joe Biden and Kamala Harris, who are pro-abortion. They are, we, Latter-day Saints are pro-life, and that issue has driven it. Utah used to be very Democratic. We had Democratic senators right up until Orrin Hatch came on the scene. That was with Roe v. Wade. That changed the dynamic, and we've been conservative ever since. Right. Huge Mormon population in Utah, Idaho, Arizona, and Nevada, and they will play a significant role. It's about 5% of the vote in Nevada and in Arizona. And if they get out and vote and vote the conservative way, look out Joe Biden because that will all, and Martha McSally will benefit from that as well. But right. they will push that that vote to the conservative side of the ledger. And let's just hope they push Burgess Owens in. I don't care if he was a Democrat. You need people of high quality and character like that. Uh, and he's running for yeah. the seat that Mia Mia Love had. Uh, thanks so much. Appreciate it. Uh, talk to you, Jason Chaffetz. Appreciate it. Thank you. One eight six six four zero eight seven six six nine. Mike Emanuel is breaking all these stories uh, on these emails that the New York Post has put forward, and then Fox News is helping to authenticate. We have he has just gotten a hold of text messages. You're not going to believe what's in them. I'm going to let him go through them and disseminate uh, what we know. This is the Brian Kilmeade Show, a radio show of the people for the people. You're with Brian Kilmeade. Jason in the House, the Jason Chaffetz Podcast. Dive deeper than the headlines and the party lines as I take on American life, politics, and entertainment. Subscribe now on foxnewspodcast.com or wherever you download podcasts. A talk show that's real. 
This is the Brian Kilmeade Show. I think there's still a lot of questions that have not been answered, but in terms of the overall scheme of things, it is going to have an impact on this election, and it already is, and you're seeing that based on Joe Biden's response today, which I thought he had a, 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 a great opportunity to set the record straight. And the one thing he still cannot, cannot say, did not say, he did, did not deny any of the reports that the emails are accurate, that the computer is real, and that they were involved in this, uh, in this business entanglement. Well, that is Rick Gates, who got himself in trouble in the Mueller report. At least they found him uh, not telling the truth at some point, but knows all about the Russia entanglements, the Ukraine entanglements, and is seeing what's happening now with the international business schemes or deals, however you want to label it, with Hunter Biden that involves through pseudonames, big guy or the chairman, Joe Biden. Why, if you're running for president, Joe Biden, would you even think about letting your son, who's clearly wrestling with addiction, get involved in these high-wire, high-stress international deals in which he has no experience? You put him out there to go wrangle money for you, and according to one of the email exchanges, not denied by the Biden camp, he's complaining to his daughter that he has to give 50% of everything he earns to his father and tells his daughter, you'll never have to do that with me. You would put that pressure on somebody recovering from addiction multiple times, failure, in and out of rehab, and put your election hopes on his back. Mike Emanuel, who's been breaking these stories uh, throughout the day, will join us next. From the Fox News Podcasts Network. I'm Ben Domenech, publisher of The Federalist, and I'm inviting you to join a new conversation with the smartest thinkers out there about the country and where we're going. Subscribe to the Ben Domenech Podcast. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. A radio show like no other. It's Brian Kilmeade. This is the same garbage Rudy Giuliani, Trump's henchman. It's the last-ditch effort in this desperate campaign to smear me and my family. The vast majority of the intelligence people have come out and said there's no basis at all. Ron should be ashamed of himself. Really? Should be ashamed of himself for, I don't know, reading what's in a laptop, handing it over to the FBI, making a copy, and seeing the fact that you have international business dealings perhaps with Romania Ukraine, China, and Kazakhstan. And now Michael Emanuel has been all over this trying to authenticate the emails that were appeared in the New York Post on Sunday uh, or earlier this weekend and have not been picked up elsewhere. In fact, if you get the story and try to retweet it, they freeze your account. Why is that? Mike Emanuel wouldn't let that stop him. He's been trying to authenticate during the week. Mike, you've been busy. Yeah, no doubt, Brian. And, and the latest, I mean, this has just been drinking from a fire hose, but the latest is, you know, one of uh, Hunter Biden's business partners, Tony Bobulinski, a guy who served in the Navy for four years, coming forward, providing all of his text messages with Hunter and other business associates, providing, you know, all of his emails, all of his communication, basically, over a multi-year period. He was involved in a partnership with Hunter trying to get business from a Chinese energy company, and, and some of the text messages are are pretty pretty shocking. So to this guy, uh, Tony uh, Bobulinski, he was in for 37 years in the military. Judging by his records that have just been brought up and cycled around, it looks like he left in good stead in 1990, excuse me, date detached, 2006. He's, in fact, multiply, uh, he's been decorated. So he came forward and he says, I don't want to be famous. I don't want to be rich. I want to correct the record, thinks the American, just to paraphrase, the American people need to know that Joe Biden was involved and that Joe Biden is referred to two ways, as the chairman 
and yep. the big guy, right? Absolutely. I've got a May 17th, 2017 text message I'm looking at saying, you know, the Chinese hunter says the Chinese are coming to be my partner, to be partners with the Bidens. Then two days later, he says, my chairman gave an emphatic no. And we are told that when he says his chairman, he's referring to his father, Joe Biden. Then on May 20th, 2017, Tony Bobulinski is warned by the business partner, James Gillier, don't mention Joe being involved. It's only when you are face to face, which, as I'm told, is a reference to Joe Biden. Uh, and then June 2017, Hunter is ranting to his p- business partners uh, using some pretty foul language in the middle of a power struggle over this deal. And he says he doesn't want to sign over, quote, my family. Family's brand, my family's only asset to this guy Tony Bobulinski. So Bobulinski says I don't have a political axe to grind, but he says he saw behind the Biden curtain and grew concerned with what he saw. Uh, basically, the Biden family aggressively leveraging their name to make millions of dollars from foreign entities, even though some were from communist-controlled China. And what he does, what he does say is, when he read the Johnson report. He saw that Hunter Biden was using this fund like a piggy bank, taking millions of dollars. And behind his back, he knew nothing about it. And then when you read the the text messages that you have, it shows the power struggle. Uh, And it it says, you know, expletives, BS, James, all around BS. Explain to me one thing Tony brings to my table that I so desperately need that I'm willing to sign over my family's brand and pretty much the rest of my business. Read the blanking documents, people. It's plain blanking English. Why in God's name would I give up this marginal bully, the keys, my family's only asset? So this gets ugly. So he was brought in for credibility, and when he tried to establish leadership, they wanted no part of it. Yeah, it sounds like, you know, Hunter Biden was hurting from uh, probably a divorce, uh, drug abuse, which has been well documented. And so he needed cash and he had kids in school and that sort of thing. And so apparently he was trying to get money sent to him directly and not through the business. And so uh, Tony Bobulinski said, you know, that's no way to run a business. This is not Hunter Biden's personal piggy bank. Uh, So that's when things really got nasty between the two of them. Uh, And so he's coming forward and he recognizes, I'm told from people who know him quite well, that this is going to blow things up and this is going to be damaging to him personally as well. Um, But he has offered to fully cooperate with the Senate Finance Committee, also with the Senate Homeland Security, Ron Johnson's committee, um, to provide all the information he has and he's willing to go to the feds as well. And so um, really a bombshell just hours before this presidential debate. But wait a second, Michael. The Russians did it. You know the Russians are behind this, right? The Russians are the one who told Hunter Biden that he had to get his laptop fixed and walk to a Delaware computer repair store. They're the ones who told him to leave it there so long the computer repair store looked at the hard drive, who then called the FBI. They got so concerned and would later contact Senator Lee and Senator Johnson. Does that about what the Russians had happen? Well, I can just tell you, you know, from dealing with some of the laptops from the email, we've been really meticulous to be really careful about, you know, verifying. And so Tony Bobulinski was on the one that made reference, the email from the laptop that made reference to 10 percent of the deal for the big guy. And he flat out said, that's Joe Biden. Um, So that was obviously very helpful to have somebody on the email chain come forward and say, I was on that email. That's a legitimate email. And yes, indeed, what you're thinking, that is referring to former Vice President Joe Biden. And so it's been, you know, 
painstaking journalistic work to basically dot our I's, cross our T's. I was, you know, given a receipt from that computer repair shop in Delaware where uh, allegedly Hunter Biden dropped off his laptop. It had a signature that appeared to be Hunter Biden. It had a cell phone number and an email address for him. I also was given uh, FBI documentation showing them taking possession of a laptop and an external hard drive. But we've just been really, really careful going back to the FBI, going back to DOJ, because obviously this close to a presidential election, the stakes are incredibly high. And we certainly don't don't want to be duped by anything that could potentially be fake. Uh, I'm not saying it is, but uh, we're just doing our total due diligence around the clock, checking with sources, checking everything out, triple basically, just to make sure everything's on the up and up. Well, that's true. But are you surprised you're not racing with NBC, ABC and CBS and CNN and MSNBC? Are you surprised that you seem to be and your colleagues, our colleagues, seem to be the ones looking for answers? Well, I think, you know, some of the stuff you just can't avoid. I mean, uh, you know, initially they, they wanted to avoid it uh, the other night when we confirmed that basically the FBI was saying that this is not some Russian disinformation campaign and, and that the Russians have the laptop. Then that forced, I think CBS did a quick blurb about that. But otherwise, they've tried to avoid it. And I think, you know, by Tony Bobolinsky coming forward, um, a guy with a military service record comes from a military family saying, I got no axe to grind. And if I've written any political checks, I've written them to Democrats, but I've seen it and I don't like it. Um, you know, perhaps that forces Kristen Welker from NBC to ask a pointed question about some of this stuff tonight. To say it's, and he keeps saying it's just a smear campaign. It's just a smear campaign. I can understand why Joe Biden wants to avoid it. And last time when this was brought up, they say, well, you know, like many families, they, uh, Hunter's dealing with an addiction, but he thinks he's, do, he's doing much better now. It's really not about Hunter's addiction. That's sad. But just like Billy Carter had issues, like Roger Clinton had issues, you know, whether you're a relative of a of would-be president or candidate has nothing to do with this. It's just 100%. how it relates to Joe Biden. And nobody's judging uh, Hunter Biden. But I'll judge this. If you knew your son has an addiction and Joe Biden evidently is great father, why would you put him in a situation or allow him to be in a situation so high pressure with international trade deals he has no experience in? When you are under stress and trying to beat an addiction, it's the wrong mix. It's a Molotov cocktail of, re, of relapse. Why would someone not get involved and, and shield him from this? Right. And and if you're thinking in 2017, after you leave being vice president for eight years, if you're thinking, hey, in 2020, I'm going to run for president, quite likely, you know, why wouldn't you also protect your interests in terms of do I want Hunter, who's got a whole lot of issues doing business deals with the Chinese when I'm looking to be the next commander in chief of the United States? And so, you know, it may be another example of very powerful people not being able to be told, you know, this is a bad idea, sir. Just like Hillary Clinton's private server was a bad idea. Uh, was anybody actually able to tell her that? So um, I don't know. So the other thing is uh, in that letter that was published in the Post today. 
uh, from Bobolinsky. He says, I realized the Chinese were not really focused on a healthy financial ROI. They were looking at this as a political or influenced investment. Once I realized that Hunter wanted to use the company as his personal piggy bank by just taking the money out as soon as it came from the Chinese, I took steps to prevent this from happening, which is consistent with the Marine who spent his life uh, winning commendations. However, you know, brought in an international business deal because he has integrity, and he brought that when he started going south. He left that. When Vice President Biden becomes the nominee, it becomes much more significant for the future of the country. So we'll see how this goes. Michael, what are you working on now? Like between all the – are you authenticating one email at a time? I'm going through all these text messages right now. I've got a pile of emails as well, and and basically uh, just bouncing it off of uh, you know some of the sources we've been dealing with, saying you know how do you translate this? What do you, what do you make of this? You know, references to the big guy, references to my chairman. <clears throat> Excuse me. So uh, it's just an endless sea of communication about Hunter Biden and his business dealings with the Chinese, and and probably a bunch of other stuff that I haven't gotten to yet. But uh, it should be. Uh, a lot of reading over the next uh, few days, for sure. So they say that this this laptop, where the FBI uh, subpoena this laptop, has subpoenaed this laptop, and it might be somehow play a role in a money laundering investigation dating back to late 2019. What could you tell That's us right. about that? Yeah, so so I tracked down the paperwork uh, related to the FBI coming to this computer shop in um, Delaware to pick up the alleged Hunter Biden laptop, an external hard drive. And so the paperwork that I obtained related to that um, had some coding on it that basically said the Baltimore field office. And so our colleagues, uh, Jake Gibson and Brooke Singman, uh, doing a heck of a job, followed up with multiple officials. And they said uh, there's a code on it, 272, which is the Bureau's classification for money laundering. So um, you know, money laundering, unknown SUA, specified unlawful activity. So basically part of a white collar crime program. Um, so it was coded that. So we don't know where exactly that goes, but that was really good journalistic digging by two of our colleagues to take the code numbers on these documents that I'd obtained and figure out exactly what they mean. And so it appears they think that Hunter Biden's laptop may be linked to a money laundering operation. And so uh, when the FBI finally said something, basically saying that they had the laptop and they didn't think this was Russian disinformation, they would not say whether anybody, including Hunter Biden, was under investigation. Um, if if you've got a money laundering code on the paperwork, it would seem to think it's linked to something they're digging into. Um, we're just not exactly sure where it goes from here. And Special Agent Joshua Wilson from the FBI picked it up. So these are all facts that throw the, throw into the face Adam Schiff, who said this is Russian and Rudy's being used in a part of this, and his reputation's been tarnished further. And people saying Angela Mitchell, of all people, said the same thing, a Russian operation. They're looking to make uh, Americans assets. This has nothing to do with any of that. That might all be true. But that doesn't that doesn't uh, uh, touch the armor of fact around this story so far. But uh, lastly, do you know why, Mike, that they would get this in December, be in the middle of an impeachment around Ukraine Mm -hmm. and have Mm -hmm. this top secret until The New York Post publishes this story? Well, I mean, that's a great question. And I've been told that FBI officials 
learned their lesson from 2016 when they were kind of thrown into the middle of the 2016 campaign with Hillary Clinton's server and the emails and all that stuff. And so they were hoping to stay out of the 2020 campaign uh, to the best of their ability. But that's certainly been a frustration with the Senate Homeland Security Chairman Ron Johnson, who told us yesterday that, he, you know, basically he finds the responses he gets from the FBI late you know, and partial, you know, incomplete. Um, and so there's been a whole lot of frustration on Capitol Hill with the FBI leadership about not even being forthcoming with lawmakers who have, you know, basically credentials where they can see very sensitive information. Um, so, yeah, there's there's a lot of frustration, and I expect there will probably be a whole lot of hearings at some point about a lot of this stuff. Win, lose, or draw for Joe Biden in the campaign. Um, I, I think that there's going to be a lot of explaining to do at some point. And remember that Rosemont group, that's when John Kerry signed backed out of it. He said, this doesn't look good. My dad's secretary of state. I'm out, uh, yep. reportedly. Uh, Hunter Biden stayed in. So yep. my great work and great way to explain it, too. It's, it, you know, it's a lot of this stuff gets complicated. You laid it out perfectly. I look forward to talking to you again. Thank you so much, Brian. Have a great day. All right. Uh, anchor reporter, uh, Mike Emanuel. Uh, we're going to come back and wrap things up. What an hour. Got a debate tonight, an election uh, 12 days away. Besides that, really, and by the way, the Nomination of Amy Coney Barrett has has gotten out of committee. It's going to be on the floor, and she'll be a Supreme Court justice next week. Questioning everything. everything. It's Brian Kilmeade. The more you listen, the more you'll know. It's Brian Kilmeade. We know that he continues to do business with China because he's got a secret Chinese bank account. How is that possible? How is that possible? A secret Chinese bank account. Listen, can you imagine if I had had a secret Chinese bank account when I was running for re-election? You think... You think my, you think Fox News might have been a little concerned about that? They would have called me Beijing Barry. Right, and you hear the horns. How bizarre is this? They're all in cars. You couldn't just separate them. I mean, put little circles on the ground. So they separate them. That was a pretty good line for President Obama. But we got explanations because we do the work, uh, President Obama. We talked to Eric. They had an account in there because they were doing business there. They're an international business place who put golf, I believe, golf courses were trying to, were going to put them in to China and also building hotels in China. And Eric's uh, retort to me was, you have to have an office if you want to have a build, if you want to do, uh, do work there, and you have to have an account. And they put money aside for taxes to have an account there. Number three is that at least they do stuff and hold stuff and can point to stuff. What the heck is Hunter Biden doing? Getting money on his last name, on his dad's last name, who evidently is reportedly profiting without declaring on his last name, according to his brother, on his brother's last name. And there's nothing they could point to to say I have a unique talent. What I do have, I have access to the former vice president. And I don't know what happened before. But a lot of people believe it was affecting policy. Can you imagine that? That is one element. But tonight, I hope the president talks about what he's going to do. I hope the president goes out of his way to point out the failure of eight years specifically 
of the Obama administration foreign policy. I hope the president goes out of his way to say how many opportunity zones you've put together, not how many, how much money you've given to the historically black colleges over the next 10 years. I hope he goes out of his way to uh, to talk about uh, what criminal justice reform has resulted in, including the release of five more on drug from drug offenses that have already served considerable time. I hope he goes out of his way to talk about what he plans on doing and have a good time, Mr. President. Enjoy it. Don't worry about the plexiglass. Don't worry about the muted, uh, the mute button. Listen, take notes, fire back. No one's quicker, more at home, who really understands the issues because it's been your life, your life for the last three and a half years. And we know about Joe Biden. Let's see what he could do with two minutes uninterrupted. See how that goes. Go to BrianKilmeShow.com at any moment. This way you could download the show and listen anytime and order the podcast. And BrianKilmeShow.com order any of my books. And you get them personalized, too. Just click it in, fill in the box, and then it goes to my bookstore and then to your house. I'm Charles Payne. Listen to my Unstoppable Prosperity podcast so I can get you making money right now. Whether stocks are hitting new all-time highs or in freefall mode, opportunities abound. So why are so many potential investors still sitting on the sidelines? In a new season of my podcast, I'm going to get you in the game. After 38 years on Wall Street, I'm ready to impart some lessons and get you invested in the greatest wealth-generating machine in history. Listen anytime, everywhere at foxbusinesspodcast.com or wherever you listen to your favorite podcast. Listen to the show ad-free on Fox News Podcast Plus, on Apple Podcasts, Amazon Music with your Prime membership, or subscribe wherever you get your podcasts.